If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Our uh, text this morning is going to be Isaiah 11 verses 10 through 16. <clears throat> this will be our third message in this series, or say in this in this chapter. Let me say that. Our third message in this chapter, and um, I'm hoping to be able to finish it today, so y'all bear with me. We're going to go through it. If, um, if you have your Bible, it's going to be easiest if you just look along with me. Uh, I say this many times, but even if you can just get it on your phone, just somehow that you can follow along with me in the text, that's where you're going to get the most out of my kind of preaching. And so I would invite you to make sure that you're looking at it in some way or another. The reference scriptures that I that I bring up, I'll, uh, most of them I'm sure we will get up on the screen for you so you're not having to find and flip as much. But if you can at least be in Isaiah chapter 11, I know that you will get more out of it. Um, we are going to be talking today about the banner of the Lord. Before we go any further, let's go one more time to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessings over this, please. Father, we come to You again, and God, we can, we can never have enough help from You. And so, Father, we ask You once again that You would be the one that speaks this morning, that You would be the one that opens our ears and opens our hearts to be able to receive what it is that You would speak to us today. Father, I pray that, um, Lord, if there is one here this morning that does not know You as their Lord and Savior, God, we really do pray that today would be the day, Lord, that they confess You as Lord, that they recognize the judgment that rests on them, and Father, that they would come running to Your safety, running to Your banner for freedom, for, for, for deliverance this morning. And so, Father, I ask, Lord, that um, You would just speak Your Word. Lord, You said faith comes through hearing. Father, I pray that faith would be the result of your word being preached this morning. But Father, it's in your hands. Lord, you said that your word will not return to you void. You will cause it to do what you sent it out to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would do what you do best. And Father, we put it in your hands this morning. We ask you to do this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So you remember that um, we have been talking about this image of um, the judgment of God coming. and. Judah and Israel have experienced it in many different ways, but ultimately it is going to come in the form of a very evil nation. The kingdom of Assyria is going to come down and they are going to wipe out Israel. They are going to uh, basically wipe out all but 10% of Judah. Uh, there is going to be nothing left, but at the end of chapter 10 we see this image of God coming through with an axe, cutting down trees, and there's nothing left but stumps. All right? And so he looks at this and the question we have to ask is, God, are you just going to let it all be destroyed? Are you just going to let it, your kingdom com continue to diminish? Or is there ever going to be a time to where you fulfill your promise that there is going to be a kingdom here on this earth and you are going to have a seed of David that rules and reigns over it? And, and if you can imagine a place, God gives them a picture of it and He's been giving them a picture of it, uh, bits and pieces through Isaiah here and there. But if you can imagine a kingdom where the king is completely righteous, he is perfect in justice, he is the most loving, the most wise, the most understanding, the, the, the one that has the most compassion, he, his provision never ends. He can take two fish and five loaves and feed five million if he wants to. Um, his, his provision never runs out. Um, can you imagine a kingdom to where 
there is nothing but peace to the point that Isaiah tells us that they take their swords and they beat them into plowshares. That there's no more need for weapons anymore. That there's no jealousy between brothers. That there is worldwide health in this place. That ultimately, if a man uh, dies at a hundred years, it will be said that he died as a child, as a little child. And it's a time where the, the lion and the lamb lay down together. It's a time to where our children can go outside and they can play with poisonous snakes and they're friends and there's no danger. It's a time to where um, we as families can enjoy literally heaven on earth. And, and it is a time to where Jesus reigns as king. And so Isaiah paints this picture that one day this kingdom is coming. And he lets us know that it is in the end of days, that it is a long ways away as far as our time is concerned, but this kingdom is coming. And he tells us that this king is going to come up in Isaiah 11 verse 1. Look at what it says. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So you have this picture again. There's nothing left but stumps. And it seems as though the house of David has uh, just basically been wiped out. And when Jesus comes, it looks that way. And yet, out of this stump, that's all that's left of the house of David, out of this stump, God sends forth a little shoot, a new life, a little tree that starts to grow out of the stump of Jesse that is there. And we have this seed of David that is going to reign over this kingdom. And it says that he's going to be a branch. And from his roots, he shall bear fruit. And then notice it says in verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, Spirit of counsel, might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And so ultimately he reigns with all the perfection of God. And so this is a king that he cannot do anything wrong. Everything he does in his reign is, as if, is because God Himself is reigning. And then in verse 3, his delight is going to be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he'll judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek. And the reason they bring this up is because in this day and time, this is one thing that Israel fell completely short at. There was no justice. There was no good judgment. But instead the judges here judged by their eyes. And if a person was rich or they had a lot of things or status in the community, the, the favor went their way. If they were poor and they didn't have any, anybody to stand up for them, the favor did not go their way. You remember the parable that Jesus told of the, the lady that came to the unjust judge and said, get me vengeance for my adversary right away? And it says, he neither feared God and he didn't regard man. And so therefore, he didn't have no reason to help this lady. Who was she? She was a nobody. She was a poor widow that had no one to stand up for, and he was an unjust judge. He had absolutely no reason to help her, and therefore he wasn't going to. But you remember the story? She kept coming and kept coming and kept coming, and he said, if, if I don't do something for this lady, this is going to not end well for me. She's going to weary me down. And yet because he was unjust, and even though he did not regard man, he still saw fit to do something that, for that widow. And God says, if an unjust judge that has absolutely no reason to do anything for this poor person, if he can be moved to do something for her, how much more do you think God Himself, who has every reason, every reason, you are His children, 
How much more do you think this God, this king, this judge is going to do everything he can to make sure that there is equity, to make sure that there is perfect peace, to make sure that you have everything you could ever need and probably even want in this kingdom. And then in verse 5, it says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. You ever went to the great smoky mountains and seen a bear out there and said, hey, to your five-year-old, go out there and put a rope around his neck and lead him around here just a little while. Why don't you do that? Because the five-year-old ain't going to be much left of him, is it? In this day and time, there is no enmity between the, the animal world, between predators and prey. There is none of that any longer. And in verse 7 it says, The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And you want to know why creation is this way? Because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we talked about all this last week. How do the waters cover the sea? Is there any crack or crevice in the bottom of the ocean that don't have water in it? Wherever you pour water in, it fills every area. And so the whole reason the creation was cursed and became the way it is is because we rejected the knowledge of the Lord. So if the rejection of the knowledge of the Lord and the lack of the knowledge of the Lord leads to the creation being cursed, how much more does the earth being filled with the knowledge of the Lord lead to the creation being restored? And so here we have a world that because Jesus is King, He fills it with the knowledge of the Lord so that people walk in the ways of the Lord. This is literally a kingdom of heaven on earth. But... Today, if you've got your outline, if you don't, we put them on our Facebook page, Wells Baptist, and you can scroll down a little bit and, and find that there. But if you've got your outline, we've already been through the coming king. We've already been through the king's attributes, his righteousness, his faithfulness, so on. We've already been through the king's kingdom and what the kingdom looks like. This morning, we're going to start in verse 10, and we're looking at the king's banner. The king's banner. So start with me, if you would, at... Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 10, and it says, In that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the people. Some of your versions say banner. All right. Some of your versions may say ensign. They are all a word that literally means something that is lifted up on a pole that signals people for a cause or it rallies people to a, a rallying point. It draws people in. Uh, some of the things that we see that help us understand this, if you go back to Numbers chapter 2, verse 2, you see a little bit of a picture of this. Whenever all of the children of Israel are um, in the wilderness and God is going to organize them, here's the way He does it. The people of Israel shall count, each by his own standard. Same word that we interpret here, um, uh, ensign or banner. It's the exact same Hebrew word but they are going to count each by his own standard with the banners of their father's houses. And again, banner standards, the same thing. The point being is you remember any old uh, medieval movies to where um, there would be a knight that would be holding a stick with a flag on the top of it and it would have the king's emblem on it. 
It would have a symbol of some kind that represented the kingdom for which it stands. Alright? And so basically what you have here is a flag. And so we have the, the fathers of all the tribes of Israel and each of the houses have a, a standard, a banner, or a flag that, that stands for their particular part of the kingdom. One of the things you might remember was the tribe of Judah. What was it known for? What uh, animal? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And so the lion of the tribe of Judah would have a standard that would, or the tribe of Judah would have a standard that would probably have a line of some kind on it. And if you were to go to Genesis 39, don't go there, but you can read the blessings that Jacob spoke over his children. And he said, um, Judah is like a lion. Or he's, I think he said, um, Dan is, um, Dan is like a, a donkey that lays with a burden on top of him. And then another one was like a ship on a, a, a sea. And so you have these pictures that kind of represent these families. And so today we don't really, um, we don't really get that. Because today we take our standards and most people burn them, right? Today it's hard to get people to even stand and put their hand over their heart for the standard of the United States anymore. Um, I mean, today we don't understand this, but there was a time when standards and flags and banners, when they actually meant something, when they stood for something. You know, the, um, the old song that we sing, our national anthem, it was actually a song written by Francis Scott Key, I think was his name. He was um, a lawyer, and basically he had been sent to negotiate for a prisoner that had been taken captive that was a friend of his. Back in 1812, I believe it was, we had already declared independence from Great Britain. Y'all know that. 1776, we declared independence. The British suffered a humiliating defeat whenever we declared independence from them. So they were trying to stop the expansion of the U.S. They were trying to stop us from being able to, uh, to trade. And so they were keeping us from from exercising our rights on the ocean to be able to go to different places and trade the way that we needed to to expand as a nation here. Because of that, in 1812, the United States declared war on Great Britain as a result of that, the War of 1812. Again, Britain has suffered a humiliating defeat, and so they, the United States is an arch enemy, an arch rival. They come in, and the first place, one of the first places they hit is Washington, D.C., they burn the White House and they make President Madison and his wife go running out of the place um, for their lives. And then they burn the house that Congress meets in. They burn many of the people's houses in these places. And then this doctor, during this time, the British thought that he was sympathetic toward them. Dr. Um, I don't remember his name, Beans. Dr. Beans was his name. He was kind of an elderly gentleman. I think in his 60s to 70s maybe, somewhere around in there. But he, he was one of these people that he was trying to help everybody as a doctor. The British told him that they would leave him alone as long as he was not sympathetic toward the United States. Well, then after they burned Washington, basically Dr. Beans went through and he started getting the people that were injured from there and he was helping them and treating them. The British took him. They got mad at him as a result of it. They took him captive. And him and many of the soldiers that were there, they took captive. But at the same time, the Americans had also took some British captive as well. 
And so, <clears throat> Mr. Scott, the lawyer, is going to go where President Madison is hiding out and he's going to get permission to go to the British to try to make a prisoner exchange. First, he goes to the prisoner camp where the Americans are keeping the British prisoners, okay? And he says to them, I'm fixing to go. Do you have any letters that you want me to take? And so they gave him these letters, and they took them to the general over here. He gets on a rowboat, he goes out to the ship, he takes these letters. He gives them to the general. The general reads the letters, and he sees that all of his people are being treated very good. They're talking about how well the Americans are treating them as prisoners of war. And then he tries to make the exchange for Dr. Mean and a one-on-one -on -one prisoner transfer. Well, whenever um, they find out he wants Dr. Beans, they don't want to do it. They're upset with him because, again, they expected him to be sympathetic toward them and he was trying to help everybody. But because of the way that the British, British prisoners told, said in their letters that they were being treated, he said, only because of this, I'm going to let him go. And so they begin to release him, but then he tells him, he says, y'all cannot go back yet. Mr. Um, Mr. Scott says, I don't understand. Why can't we go back? And he says, well, you see that over there? And he turned around and he looked. And on the horizon, there were some 50 uh, battleships on the biggest uh, naval army in the world coming toward the port of Baltimore. The port of Baltimore was the, Baltimore was the biggest, was the third largest city, let me say that, in the U.S. If they defeat Baltimore, they've already defeated the, the Washington, D.C. If they defeat Baltimore, the United States is in trouble. Okay? And so, he tells them, he says, we're fixing to lay to waste this fort right here that protects Baltimore. Because Fort McHenry was the only place that could stop these these uh, British boats from splitting the river that goes around Baltimore and just demolishing Baltimore. He said, we're fixing a late away Fort Baltimore. They were on a ship that had 86 guns. There were 50 more behind them. You do the math on that. And I don't know that all of them had 86 guns, but I know that there's a bunch of guns coming, okay? And so he sits back and he has to just sit there and watch. They can't do anything. They're going to be free men but they have to sit back and watch the United States fixing to be destroyed. The land of the free, the home of the brave, is fixing to go down because of this battle right here. And so ultimately, we have the song of the Star-Spangled Banner that was originally written as the defense of Fort McHenry. And so whenever we're looking at this song, I want you to think about some of the lyrics in it because he describes what he's seeing. He's looking up at Fort McHenry and he sees the flag standing there. The flag represents the land of the free, the home of the brave. The, the flag represents what the kingdom stands for, who the kingdom is. And he looks up there, and as long as that flag stays standing, the kingdom of the land, the land of the free and the home of the brave, it keeps standing. If the flag goes down, the people have surrendered, Britain has won, and here we are, the United States is fixing to, to go down. The third largest city in the United States. At that time, only 15 states is going down. And so, the battle lasts some 25 hours. And here's some of the lyrics to it. He says, Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light. So in other words, picture him standing on this British battleship. He's watched as this battle has went through all night long. 
But now the dawn's light is beginning to break through. And he says, Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming? In other words, the last time we saw the flag standing was at the twilight's last gleaming. And we proudly held it. We proudly, uh, we proudly thanked God that it was still standing. And then all through the night, the bombs were bursting in air and all this battle, this perilous fight was going on. And they were always wondering, is the flag still there? Is the flag still there? And he says, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, or the ramparts or the, the defense walls, or the ramparts we watched, the, the bright stars and broad stripes were so gallantly streaming. And then the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in there. Picture that in your mind as he's watching the battle take place. And every now and then, as a bomb would burst in the air, guess what they would catch a glimpse of? Or the ramparts. That star-spangled banner is still waving. And then he says, it gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. As long as that flag is still there, the land of the free still stands. The home of the brave is still here. And then he says, Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? See, again, there was a time when the flag stood for something. When the flag was raised, it would rally people to a certain cause. I love watching movies like The Patriot. Anybody in here remember watching Mel Gibson with The Patriot? You remember that last battle whenever the, the, uh, the, the army is beginning to retreat and Mel looks up and the flag is running backwards and they're fixing to lay it down. And he runs up there and he grabs the flag and he grabs it and he holds it high and he takes off running and he holds the line. And then all the people behind him, when they see the flag going back toward the battle, the ones that were retreating all turn around and they follow that flag and they charge. What happened? That flag stood for something. That flag meant something. They were fighting for something. There was a cause. And most of the time that cause is freedom in some way. And so here in this context, what we have is he says, in the day of this kingdom, the root of Jesse, now that's important because at first it was the shoot that came forth from the stump of Jesse, right? Now we've got this same king who's not coming from Jesse, but he's the root of Jesse. In other words, the root is what everything else comes from, right? So on verse 1, we see that this king is going to come from Jesse. And did Jesus come from Jesse? Yes, in the flesh. And then in verse 10, we've got this is the root of Jesse, that Jesse comes from him. And so we have two little clues here that let us know who this Messiah and who this King is going to be. He's going to be from the lineage of David as far as in the flesh, but He's also going to be the root from which Jesse and David came from as well because He is God the Creator in the flesh. And then look what He says next. He says, In that day the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal. And again, this word in the Hebrew means something lifted up on a pole like a flag. He says He's going to stand as a signal for the peoples of Him and of Him shall the nations inquire, and His resting place shall be glorious. 
this kingdom that He lives in. It's going to be a glorious kingdom that He rules over. And you are going to want to be a part of this kingdom. And He says here that He is going to stand as a signal, as a banner for this kingdom. That He is going to be the one that stands that all the people of the um of the kingdom will be able to see Him as the banner and they will be able to rally around this. And this, He is going to stand for what this kingdom represents. He is going to stand for peace. He is going to stand for harmony. He is going to stand for uh, worldwide provision. He is going to stand for uh, health. He is going to stand for all the things that you would want a kingdom on this world to be. He is going to stand for that. Now, this verse is also quoted by Paul in Romans 15 verses 9 through 12. In Romans 15 verses 9 through 12, look what it says. And notice that it starts out with, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written. So now he starts quoting scriptures that talk about the Gentiles being able to glorify God for His mercy. Because up to this point, The Gentiles were not the chosen people, right? But they were going to be able to glorify God for His mercy and any gift Scripture should prove it. Therefore, he's quoting from the Old Testament, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And then here's where he says it. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. So here's what he's trying to say in this. He wants you to understand that because of Jesus standing as the banner, something lifted up on a pole that draws all men of the world to this kingdom, because of that, the Gentiles like you and I are going to be able to praise God for His mercy. Does anybody remember a time when the banner, the Lord Jesus Christ, was lifted up on a pole? You remember what Jesus said about Himself in John chapter 12 verse 32? In John chapter 12 verse 32, He says that, If I be lifted up, or when I am lifted up from the earth, what will I do? I will draw all people to myself. We have Christ that is going to be, that is already king, but he's coming back to establish this kingdom. And y'all know we read about that in Revelation. And he says, during this time, he is drawing people into this kingdom. And right now, the cross of Jesus Christ is the banner, the flag that flies so high over this perilous fight that says to all who see Him, I'm lifted up and there can be peace. I'm lifted up, there can be peace with God, there can be mercy from God, you can be a part of God's kingdom. It is not destroyed, it is being built, it is being raised up, I am going to be king over it, and if you will come and you will bow the knee before the standard, before the banner, there's room at the cross for you. And he says here that all those that are drawn to this standard, that are drawn to this banner, that because of this, the nations inquire of Him. Look again with me in Isaiah 11 verse 10 again. It says, of Him shall the nations inquire. They're going to see the banner. 
And here again, it's talking about the Gentiles. They're going to see the banner. They're going to see the flag. And when the cross of Christ is preached, it means that there can be peace with God and you can be a part of this kingdom. Right now, you're still just like Israel and just like 90% of Judah that's being destroyed. The wrath of God rests on you. And until you see the banner, until you see Him lifted up on a pole, until you put your faith and your trust in Him, you are not in the kingdom. But He says here very plainly that you will come when you see the banner and you will inquire of Him. Tell me about this peace that I can have with God. Tell me about this kingdom that I can be a part of that you're king over and you will reign over forever and ever. Tell me about this kingdom to where health has no end. Tell me about this kingdom that death cannot enter. Tell me about this kingdom to where there is no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more pain and no more suffering. Tell me about this kingdom. Because that's the kingdom I want to be a part of. And so he raises the banner of the Lord. And then notice what he says next in verse 11. In that day the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time. So that means He's extended it a first time, right? Let's see if we can figure out what He's talking about. In that day the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time, and He's going to do it to recover the remnant that remains of His people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal, a banner again. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And so here we, in verse 10 we saw all the nations are going to inquire of Him. The Gentiles, you and I are going to come into this kingdom and praise Him for this mercy as we see the banner and we inquire of the banner. The Jews are eventually one day going to open their eyes. They're going to see the banner and they're going to come in and they're going to rally back around this king and this kingdom. How do I know that's true? Look with me at scriptures like Zechariah chapter 12 verse 7 through 10. These are prophets preaching about what's going to happen with Jerusalem. Because remember, think about this. At this time, the Jewish people are being destroyed. There is only 10% of Judah left. That's it, right? And since then, have you known any much about Jewish history? I mean, the Jews, it looks like the Jewish kingdom is always being defeated. It's almost wiped out, but it's never wiped out. Tell me, how many of these other kingdoms have you heard of that are now gone? When's the last time you met an Assyrian or someone from Cush or, or a Canaanite or a Hittite or a uh, Jebusite? or a, anybody, ever, anybody ever met any of those? You know why? Because they ain't anymore. They're gone. But the Jewish kingdom, it still stands. It's still here. And God is going to bring them back one day. He says right now, He's blinded their eyes and He's hardened their hearts because they rejected the banner, right? They rejected Christ on the cross. But there is coming a day that He says, the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first. That the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. And on that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. 
And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. You hear that? There is coming a day when God is going to open the eyes of the Jews and they're going to look at Jesus and they're going to see the one that they pierced. And they're going to see that He's the Messiah. He's the King. And they are going to weep bitterly over this. And then we see a picture of that in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Let's look at just a few verses in that. In Isaiah 52 beginning in verse 13, look at what it says. Jesus says, or God says through Isaiah, Behold, my servant is going to act wisely. And again, he's still talking about this coming king, okay? He's talking about this coming deliverer that's going to reign over God's kingdom on earth. He says, my servant is going to act wisely. He's going to be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, talking about Israel and their defeat, talking about Judah going down to only 10%, he said, as many were astonished at you, His appearance is going to be so marred beyond human resemblance and His form beyond that of the children of mankind. In other words, you think people were astonished at the judgment that fell on you? Wait till you see the judgment that's going to fall on my servant that's going to save you. You're not even going to be able to recognize Him. His human resemblance, He won't even look like a human anymore. See, I used to, when I watched The Passion of the Christ, I, I was young then when it first came out, young Christian too. And I can remember sitting in the movie theater, sitting there watching it going, this is so stupid. There's no way. Hollywood just really did this up. I mean, they made him look so bloody and they made him look so bruised and they made the skin look so ripped. I mean, Hollywood really tried to just blow this thing up. That was what my thoughts were. You want to know what I have found out to be the truth? Hollywood didn't even do it justice. It says here that his resemblance didn't even look like a human anymore. But then it says, because of that, look look at the next verse, so shall he sprinkle many nations, Jews, Gentiles. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. And then in Isaiah 53, you have a picture of the Jewish people when they finally see Him. When they finally see that they pierced the King, that they pierced the Messiah. And you remember Zechariah said, they're going to mourn for Him like one that mourns for an only son. You remember that? Now look at what they say in Isaiah 53. Isaiah's prophesying what's going to happen. The Jews in that time are going to say, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It was revealed to them. For he grew up before him like a young dry plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form and no majesty that we should look at him. In other words, this is the Jewish people saying, we didn't know it was him. We didn't believe it was him. He didn't look like a coming king. He didn't look like what we were expecting him to look like. And they're mourning And they say he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. And then they say he was despised and rejected by men. How are we to know that he was supposed to be the king? 
Men didn't receive him. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we, how do I know that this is the Jews that's talking here? Look at the plural way they're talking here. And we esteemed him not. And then look what it says. Surely he has borne whose griefs? Our griefs. Our Surely He has borne our griefs. Surely He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken. We thought He was smitten by God. We thought He was being afflicted by God. But, here's what they finally learned when God opened their eyes. But He was pierced for what? For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. So again, that's the whole point of the prophets. The whole point of the prophets is the kingdom of God, as far as the Jews looked like, it was going away. God had promised that it was going to be a land flowing of milk and honey and that He was going to be their God and they were going to be His people. And yet, instead of seeing that happen, we're watching it go the other way, right? And now, the prophets come in and they say, But there's coming a day when the seed of David is going to sit on this throne. There's coming a day when God is going to fulfill His promise and there is going to be this kingdom flowing with milk and honey on this earth. And this king and his resting place is going to be glorious. And he's going to stand as a banner so that the nations inquire of Him and want to know how do we become a part of this kingdom? How do we escape the judgment of God and get into the kingdom of God? There's going to be a day when the Israelites' eyes are opened up and the Jewish people are going to look at Him and go, we had no idea it was Him. But He was pierced for our transgressions and the chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And they weep and they mourn over Him as one who mourns for an only Son. Is this making sense to anybody? And so, Christ stands as a signal that the kingdom of God still stands. As long as we preach the cross of Christ, there is always a banner that is raised that draws all people. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And this banner is raised and Christ is being preached. And in this banner, in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 26 through 30, God raised a banner too. But this banner was different. He says in Isaiah 5, God will raise a banner or a signal for the nations far away. And He will whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. None is weary, none stumbles, none slumbers, none sleeps. Not a waistband is loose. Not a sandal strap is broken. In other words, they got their armor on, don't they? They're ready. Their arrows are sharp. All their bows are bent. Their horses' hooves seem like flint. And their wheels like the whirlwind. Their roaring is like a lion. Their young lions roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off and none can rescue. They will growl over it on the day like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, behold darkness and distress, and the light is darkened by its clouds. So in Isaiah chapter 5, God raises a banner for His judgment to come on the nations. In Isaiah chapter 11, God raises another banner of Christ on the cross that judgment has been served. And for all that rally to this kingdom, 
and for all that bow their knee before this king, they will be saved and they will be a part of this kingdom. And now go back with me to Isaiah 11. Look at verse um, 13. We see the king's people. This is what the king's people will be like. Isaiah 13 says, The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Now think about this. Remember I've told you from the beginning that this kingdom of God has been split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, right? Ephraim, or Israel, is the northern kingdom. Judah, or the house of David, is the southern kingdom. They have been so jealous of one another that they have been at war with each other. And Jesus says here, when I'm lifted up and the banner is raised, when this kingdom comes, brothers won't seek to destroy and devour each other anymore. How many of you know that that's our hearts? Now you may say it's not. Well, let me tell you something. I've been in the ministry a long time. Long enough to know that 90% of the time when we sit down to talk as a group of people, somewhere along the conversation, it's going to gravitate toward talking about